Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. This is a game day podcast from Talk Sport. Hello and welcome to the Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. The ultimate review and preview to all the big action with me, Sam Matterface, former West Ham and England striker Dean Ashton and TalkSport transfer guru Alex Crook. Coming up, tense, tight, tedious. But as United have the best chances at Anfield, we ask, why are Liverpool firing blanks? Manchester United are top and now head to Craven Cottage with the halfway lead in their sights. But what are they? Full force, Robinson red card costs Scott against the neighbours as Frank now takes Chelsea over land and sea to Leicester after the Foxes hunt down Hassan Hootel's herd despite a very impressive Saints showing. Also, Big Sam has a big smile after Black Country Derby success and Spurs spank Sheffield United with a couple of corkers. Palace knocks stone cold as Manchester City cement their place as title contenders and a lot more besides on the podcast that wonders if we could still get into our spray-on skinny jeans on our 50th birthday like Pep. The Game Day Premier League podcast from TalkSport. is game day and with me to discuss such big issues are Dean Ashton the former England forward hello how are you I'm great I don't even own a pair of skinny jeans I never have done it's not even worth it what alright okay Uh, Alex Crook I've got a pair of skinny jeans, actually. Yeah, I, prefer, I prefer them to the baggy variety. Do you? <laughs> right, okay. Yeah, you always tell me that you've got quite nice legs. I've got incredible legs, to be fair. <laughs> good to know. Always good to know. Um, right, okay. We've got some massive matches to look back on and some even bigger ones to look forward to over the course of the week, or certainly, hopefully, more entertaining ones over the course of the week. On TalkSport this week, the schedule is jam-packed with live football matches on Tuesday and Wednesday night. So, let's get to it. Slow, left-footed, drives it into the bottom corner. The other side from the first penalty he scored. Patricio went to his right. The ball went to the goalkeeper's left. And West Bromwich Albion have come from behind now to lead by three goals to two at Molyneux. West Ham won. Burnley nil. Mikel Antonio has stabbed him from three yards out. First of all, the marking was, or the, the defending was absolutely abysmal. Secondly, the celebration about doing a, a backstroke <laughs> in swimming is equally as bad. <laughs> Job well done by Graham. Potter's side here, Leeds United nil, Brighton Hove Albion won. Neil Mopé with the only goal of this game came in the 18th minute, a right-footed tap-in, and it's their first win in 10 for Graham Potter's side. Pulled away by Ariola, and the shot driven in by Mason Mount, and Chelsea finally have the goal here to break down the 10 men. It's a crucial goal for Chelsea and Frank Lampard. Barnes is surging clear on goal, Iheanacho square, Barnes will go it alone, and he'll find the corner, and he'll see that takes them second in the Premier League table. Dombelli has restored Spurs' two-goal cushion with a deft flick of his right boot, an instinctive uh, finish over Ramsdale into the corner. That really was the work of genius. Full-time whistle has gone. It's Liverpool nil, Manchester United nil. It's a point which gives United a two-point lead at the top of the table and means just five points separate the top six teams in the Premier League who wants it the most? Finished Manchester City 4, Crystal Palace 0. A result that moves Manchester City into second place in the Premier League table. And they have a game in hand. They will be top if they win that game in hand. 
Manchester United take on Fulham on Wednesday night live on TalkSport. Let's do some quick reflections on Liverpool against Manchester United. Liverpool slipping to fourth in the table. Uh, United two points clear at the top. Um, Liverpool had to play Henderson at centre-back, Shaqiri in midfield, Dean. Goal scoring, though, seems to be a massive problem for them. Three Premier League games without a goal for the champions of England. Why? Well, first of all, I think... Um, the fact that teams are just sitting so deep and Manchester United were no different. Back four, two holding midfielders in front, even the wide players took him back and defending. Teams are just not going to allow Liverpool the space to uh, create in behind um, and and they're going to be wiser to the, the way that Liverpool are going to play. So that's difficult in itself. Um, but I just think, I think competition for places is such an issue with, with Liverpool. I look at the 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 best teams throughout the years. You think of Sir Alex Ferguson's teams, the likes of York, Cole, Sheringham and Solskjaer, all in one squad fighting for, for two places between the four of them. Liverpool don't have that. Firmino knows he's going to play. Mane, Salah, they know they're going to start every single game. And I think you need that competition in the, in the best sides. And that's, I think, where Pep Guardiola's had it right since he got to City, is that being able to rotate and and have players be on the edge knowing that they could be dropped at, for any game. Um, and it just keeps the, the players honest. And, and I think that's the biggest issue is, is him not refreshing that side. I think he makes a good point. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson always used to say that the best time to strengthen was from a position of power, i.e. when you've just achieved something or, or won a trophy. And apart from Yotta, Liverpool didn't really do that. I mean, there's an incredible stat. They bought in Thiago as well, didn't they? And, and, and uh, But he's been injured for a very long period of time and hasn't really settled in just yet. Although there were flashes in, in that game where he, he really dictated the play in the first half an hour. Yeah, I think he tweeted to say that that was his Anfield debut, which is incredible, yeah. um, really. Um, but that shows how many games he's, he's missed. But the start I was going to highlight was since scoring with seven of their 14 shots against Palace, Liverpool have scored one goal from 62 shots in their last four Premier League games. That's a conversion rate of 1.6%. I'm sure that will turn at some stage. They've got too many good players in the forward areas for it not to. But I think that the absence of Van Dijk and Gomez that we, we've highlighted from a defensive point of view, but I think it's impinging their attack as well. I mean, Van Dijk's always such a threat from set pieces, but just a confidence as well. I'm not sure Liverpool feel they can express themselves as much as they used to because they've got two midfielders effectively playing in the centre of defence. Therefore, yeah. subconsciously, I think they're just sitting that little bit deeper and maybe the fullbacks are not attacking as much as they used to either. Manchester United defend well. Um, they weren't particularly good to watch, especially in that first 45 minutes. I mean, some of the Manchester United fans that I know were flinging messages between one another, complaining about how bad they were on the eye, mentioning no names, Alex Crook. Uh, but they uh, created, wasn't me, was it? Uh, <laughs> I think it was. <laughs> I won't repeat the, uh, the words you actually said. Uh, but they created the best chances of the game. What is their style, Dean? And, and and do you have to have one? Um, I think it's important that you do have a, an identity because I think players need that and they will be working to a structure. But I think they're a counter-attacking team, as are, as are so many teams nowadays. I don't think they're like a Manchester City that are comfortable in possession for long periods and can break teams down. I think they need... Um, to be able to sit back and catch teams on the counter-attack. And they had their opportunities. They had plenty of opportunities in that game, but the the decision-making or the timing of the run or the quality of the pass just, just wasn't good enough. That's that's all it was. I actually thought the game plan was pretty good against uh, Liverpool's side. It's just the opportunities that they had to get in behind with that high line that Liverpool play. Marcus Rashford timed his runs poorly or the pass wasn't great, and that was just a big issue. They, they were just poor in possession yesterday. Uh, let's talk about uh, their game on uh, Wednesday night then. They go to a Fulham side who I think defended quite well against Chelsea, created a couple of chances, missed some chances in that game as well. Scott Parker's made them tough to beat. Is this a big test for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, or is the fact that they are now unbeaten in 16 games away from home just going to fill them with confidence? And actually, this was a good point at Anfield and they can go there with their usual swagger crook I think it's a test of their mentality because obviously it's sandwiched between two massive games against their arch rivals and that Liverpool match in the FA Cup is is hanging like a dark cloud over this fixture in some ways um, but 
I think if you're going to be title contenders, then you have to go to places like Fulham and find a way to win. Chelsea did that at the weekend, weren't at their best, but still came out on top. I think it would be a, a big blow to Manchester United, not just in terms of challenging for the title, but in terms of their top four hopes, because it's so congested up there. If they didn't win this game, um, it'll be interesting to see what he does in, in, in terms of personnel, with it coming so quickly after an energy-sapping afternoon at Anfield. Uh, will Cavani start the game? I sincerely hope so, yeah. uh, because Anthony Martial is not good enough uh, for a team who, who want to challenge for the title we've got Dean Ashton there someone who has been there and done it in the Premier League and Martial just lacks in so many departments to be that number nine to play in that role for a team like Manchester United I know Chelsea are showing a bit of interest in Erling Haaland United should break the bank for him for me if he was in this team they would have a real shout out winning the title as it is I think they're just short in that area obviously a lot of United fans wanted Eric Bailly to play against Liverpool I, I felt the selection of Lindelof was, was the correct one because it was the type of game where Bailly's hot-headedness and his rashness may well have put him in trouble I'd imagine he might well come back in they've got op options off the bench now uh, one matter maybe could get a run out if he wants to freshen up midfield as well. I think United will win this game. I think the absence of Anthony Robinson for Fulham due to suspension is is also a, a big blow. He's been a key part of their recent revival in, in, in the last few weeks. Yeah, Decadova Reed is also suspended after an accumulation of yellow cards. So they're a little bit depleted to Scott Parker's team. Um, Manchester United, we mentioned their deep squad. Liverpool don't have that. I suppose that's the difference between the two. They go to Burnley on Thursday night, Dean. Uh, and Burnley... Oh dear, Burnley. I mean, nine goals all season. I mean, it's pretty depressing if you're a Burnley fan. If you're Sean Dyche, I suppose you just point to the fact that you haven't really had much money to work with. But this is a, I mean, this is a game where Liverpool really have to to ensure they get all three points and find their scoring boots. But it's not going to be easy because Burnley are going to go to Anfield and make it very, very difficult. They're going to sit very deep. Liverpool have found it notoriously difficult actually against. Burnley uh, in certain games and um, and I think also with you know without the, the centre-backs I think Wooden Barnes or Rodriguez if he gets a start I think will cause the odd problem as well then they certainly will from from set plays I thought Manchester United didn't really make the most of that because they looked small team Liverpool mm -hmm. um, with only really Fabinho who I would say uh, was a real threat in the air and I think Burnley will look to try and exploit any sort of set plays that they can but I think Liverpool will, will be able to get past Burnley pretty comfortably Burnley uh, centre forwards have only scored four of the nine goals that they have managed this campaign that would be a bit of a, an issue and a lot of Burnley fans getting slightly frustrated uh, about the fact that they've got these new owners now yet don't seem to be showing any interest in the transfer market. Have, have you heard anything, Crook, about them trying to bring anybody in or, or, or splashing a bit of the new American cash? No, it's definitely quiet on that front as it is for a lot of clubs. I have to say it's been one of the, the quietest Januaries on record so far. I, I would expect a bit of a scramble maybe in the last few days of the window, particularly for those teams down at the bottom of the table as Burnley certainly are. I think as a squad... In, in dire need of, of freshening up and a, a bit of bit of reinvesting. We, we talked last week with Darren Lewis about the fact that Chris Wood and, and Ashley Barnes perhaps are not as effective as they have been in, in previous seasons. Maybe Burnley need a plan B. I think Dean's right. Maybe the aerial advantage they have could cause Liverpool problems, but I would be surprised if, if Liverpool failed to score for the fourth match in succession. If they don't score against this Burnley team, I think Jurgen Klopp's got big problems. Um, January is an interesting time to bring talent in anyway, and everybody always complains about the fact that you, there's no value in the market during that month. However, um, do we think that the amount of spending has been curtailed by the COVID issues. I suppose we have to factor in that a lot of even these elite clubs that are, are very wealthy and get a lot of television money in have actually had a lot of their income slashed because they haven't had fans for nearly a year now. Yeah, and, and there's no guarantee when the fans will start flocking back through the turnstiles. I think there's still a, a fear in the background that the Premier League season may be curtailed and therefore there'd be television money that has to be repaid. Arsenal have taken out a big loan from the Bank of England. Southampton have just recorded huge losses. Tottenham have taken out a loan as well. So I think it's affecting clubs up and down the, the country and the Premier League are, are no different. I think the other element that we have to factor in is, is the fact that 
managers are worried about losing players to injury because of so, playing so many games in such a short period of time. They're worried about posit, positive COVID tests. So managers are almost stockpiling players. Look at Manchester United, for example. Jesse Lingard and Brandon Williams aren't going to get much game time this season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer doesn't want to let them go despite interest from other clubs, is my understanding, because he's worried that he might need them if he, if he loses senior first-team players. It's the same with Deli Ali at Tottenham. Clearly isn't going to get a game in the Premier League. I don't think they're going to let him join Paris Saint-Germain on loan. I really don't. Um, uh, quick reflections on Sheffield United and Tottenham Hotspur. I thought it was a professional performance by Spurs who started well, but it's very unlike Sheffield United to get caught out from a set piece. Then they give the ball away in midfield for the second. You can't afford to be messing around like that against uh, the likes of Spurs, can you, Dean? They're, they're almost counting down now the days until relegation. Yeah, I think, um, again, I think there's... there's plenty of endeavour I think the players are trying their best to, to play the right way still and and you know they were still in it when when McGoldrick scored that goal typical Tottenham sitting back again conceding a goal from across like they did the other night against Fulham um, and that was maybe their opportunity and Tottenham literally went down the other end Sheffield United gave the ball away and that's the problem they're just they're not good enough the players are not good enough. They had a, a great run last season. A lot of the players will have peaked without a doubt. And being able to adapt to this level, to the best players, you have to be able to. And, and they just haven't been able to do that. I don't care what he does. I don't care which plays he rotates and tries out. They're, they're just not good enough. And that will show come the end of the season. Yeah, I thought they put their foot back on the accelerator again in the second half, didn't they, Tottenham? And that's why they took themselves away from Sheffield United. Some great goals in this match. The McGoldrick goal was a really good goal. A brilliant delivery into the box and a very good header from David McGoldrick, who's who's started to actually put the ball in the back of the net, which is a, a surprise, really. But Sheffield United, from goals, open play goals, expected goals, set-piece goals, they're 20th on every single list. So no surprise at their bottom of the table. Um, Crook, uh, let's talk a little bit about that Ndombele goal. Do you reckon he meant it? Um, I think he probably did, um, to was, be honest. It was brilliant, wasn't it? I mean, it was lovely to watch. It, it was reminiscent of, of a certain Dean Ashton. Um, not that he was one to blow his own trumpet on, on social media yesterday, but um, were very similar. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was a volley. Mine was a volley. And did you mean it? Of course he did. Of course he did. I th- <laughs> oh, did you mean did. it? Absolutely, yeah. No, I thought I thought I meant it, and he meant it, and his was equally as stunning as mine in terms of that that awareness and touch to be able to sort of get the weight of the ball right to go up and over the top of the goalkeeper into that far corner. I thought it was just a a great goal from a player that really is starting to become, you know, one of the first names on the team sheet and. And, and a real sort of Jose Mourinho type type player, but with with flair as with flair as well. Um, but again, you, you know, Tottenham they're just so good when they win the ball back. And and again, I thought Huey Berg was was superb, and and that's where he's got it right. He's got the players in there, Jose, that will win the ball back in the right areas, and then suddenly they allow that that front line to get going. The only issue I would have is is Bergvine's playing without doing anything he's just he's just a, a body in there I know it's a great ball in for Undombele but I think if Tottenham could really get someone else on that on that right hand side that could add the same sort of threat goal threat um, that the other two have I mean that would make them very very um, very very hard to beat Undombele by the way is in my fantasy team although I left him on the bench this week disaster John Stones is in mine oh. <laughs> we'll get to him in just a second. Put forward by Drury. Here is Ashton. Oh, it's a brilliant goal. Just to emphasise the talent and the touch. And it's just what Norwich City needed. Well, right on cue. It's a fantastic goal. I haven't seen that goal for a very long time, but it was an absolute spectacular hit, Dean Ashton. It was. It's an incredibly difficult skill. I mean, it's much harder than Ndombele's that bounced first for him to then size it up. I love the fact that you you tweeted Um, uh, against David. uh, Tungi's been watching the Premier League years. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, in his lockdowns, he must have been watching, surely. 
Um, and plus, David James is a lot taller than Ramsdale, so I think I just picked him. Didn't you get overshadowed by Delia at half-time, though? They, they remember the game for her half-time antics as opposed to your wondrous strike. Funny that, isn't it? Yeah, funny what alcohol does. A message for the best football supporters in the world. We need a 12th man here. Where are you? Where are you? Let's be having you! Come on! Champagne goal, champagne response. Uh, right, let's turn our attention to uh, Manchester City versus <laughs> Palace um, because... Uh, City take on Aston Villa at six o'clock on Wednesday night. By that point, um, they're two points off the top. If they win that game, by the time Manchester United kick off their game against Fulham, then they could be in first place, Manchester City. Now there is a surprise, Alex Crook. Yeah, fair play. You've been uh, banging that drum for a while. Um, I'm firmly on board now. So the bookmakers, by the way, Manchester City, um, very short odds on favourites. I just can't see where the next defeat is coming from. And I, I mentioned John Stones there and unusual to get a, a centre-back on a hat-trick as he was, but his partnership with Ruben Diaz has really been the fulcrum of their success. They played 10 games together. They've won nine, drawn one, which was the uh, dower draw against Manchester United, I think, at Old Trafford. They've conceded one goal. And, and for me, John Stones at the moment is not only a... a a shoe-in for a place in Gareth Southgate's England squad, which didn't look likely a few months ago. I think he has to start at the European Championships. I think his turnaround and his form has been that good. And they're a machine, Manchester City. Once they get the bit between their teeth as they have, they're going to be very hard to stop. And I know maybe like Liverpool, they're not scoring goals as, as regularly as perhaps they once were, but all the time they're not conceding them at the other end. They've got enough talented players going forward that, that they will sweep teams away. And I thought De Bruyne again on Sunday was a joy to watch. Uh, John Stones met as many goals in uh, City's win as Manchester City have conceded this season when he's been in the side. So he's scored <laughs> as many goals as he's conceded. I mean, that's pretty damn impressive, isn't it, Dean? It's incredible. Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, look, we, we've all known that he's a superb player. He's got all the attributes to be a, a top-level player and and it's just taken him a bit of time I think and, and something's dropped that you know the penny certainly dropped in terms of defensively what he needs to do what he needs to start like a baseline of where he needs to start and how he needs to defend I think has he's really proved that this season in terms of his decision making and that's that's been huge for him because everything else will just take care take care of itself and I think what it's done is that defensive unity between the two and the goalkeeper it's meant that even though City haven't been great going forward for large parts of the season, they've still been able to tick along, keep the victories, and then it's, it's then only going to be a matter of time before the foot forward players do get into a rhythm. Um, so I think a, a huge amount of credit has to go to both him and Diaz for, for keeping City sort of uh, well within it because uh, while they're waiting for the attackers to get going. Um, I don't think that um, there's much doubt that this game's going to go ahead now. Is there, Crook? I mean, I think we believe that this is going to be played, don't we? I think so. I think Aston Villa were, were due to be given the all-clear to return to their training ground on Sunday. It's going to be interesting to see how much of an impact COVID-19 has on team selection, on, on, on the fitness of their players, because obviously Steve Bruce... Uh, when Newcastle were hit with a similar outbreak, said that it took a long time for his players to get over that. Or if Aston Villa may be refreshed from having such a long break in between Premier League games. So it's a bit of an unknown quantity, this match, I think. But Manchester City would be confident on form of, of winning it. But Aston Villa have players, as they've shown this season, who are capable of upsetting the big teams. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. I'm going in for the kick! I'm doing it for the kick! Madison for tight angle, gets the shot away and scores! James Madison, from an almost impossible angle, gives Leicester City the lead! I think Leicester is as every bit as good as they were in 2016, and might even have a bit more. Jamie Vardy, of course it's 1-0 Leicester, of course it is! Off the breakaway, off the counter-attack, they've done it again. It's all tight, it's all it's all very, very close, and it's up to, you know, everyone will look at Liverpool and Manchester United and Manchester City and Chelsea. So it's finished here at Stamford Bridge, Chelsea 1, Manchester City 3, lots of work for Frank Lampard to do. What Frank Lampard's got at the moment, he's got to do a job to guide these players from really choppy waters into calmer waters. All the way by Ariola and the shot driven in by Mason Mount and Chelsea finally have the goal here to break down the 10 men. It's a crucial goal for Chelsea and Frank Lampard. I think a lot of people are talking about us and a lot of people make a big deal about the fact that we've lost some games but for me it's uh, I say it's normal but where we're at we had a really good run and then you have a tough patch I expected it this season and they give you little challenges how do you get out of a tough patch work hard. Leicester Chelsea kicks off on Tuesday night at 8.15, live from the King Power Stadium. Uh, Dean and I are going together uh, to watch this game. Very much looking forward to that, Dean. Um, Leicester beat Southampton at the weekend in what was a quite a tight match, actually, between two very good teams. I thought Southampton came out of the match with quite a lot of credit. I agree, and but I do think it was a huge win for Leicester. I think this home form is going to be crucial to them if they really want to challenge and... Um, and I think, again, Chelsea will be a massive test again at home. Um, and I just thought mentally it was important that Leicester kind of got through that game the way that they the way that they did. Um, look, Vardy missed quite a few chances. I would I would say that you know the scoreline could have been slightly better, um, even though Southampton were a threat throughout throughout the game. But um, if Leicester can get that home form right and be harder to beat at home, they're going to be right in there. And there's. Whenever I hear about the title, no one is mentioning Leicester. No one puts them in that bracket properly. Do they? They don't genuinely believe. But you look through their their team and their squad, and it's very, very strong. And if you look at the table, I mean, they're only two points off the top themselves, aren't they? And, uh, and they play against a what would have been considered earlier in the season another title contender. Although I don't think Chelsea ever were, but Leicester City certainly are, aren't they, Crook? Yeah, I said on Darren Ben's boot room on Sunday, we have to take Leicester seriously now. They're the, or they were before the Manchester City win. They were the meet in between the Liverpool and, and Manchester United sandwich. They've obviously had their problems with injury over the course of the campaign. The fact they've managed to to find a way to deal with those absentees is credit to Brendan Rodgers and his players. Most of those are fit now. Southampton were a difficult opponent, but I think Leicester actually kept them at arm's length pretty well, particularly in the second half. I, I, I think they're contenders, um, as long as Jamie Vardy stays fit, because they haven't really got a backup to him. I suppose whether they are title contenders or not depends a lot on what happens next. After 18 games of this season, second in the table, 11 wins, two draws, five defeats, a win ratio similar to last campaign. But what happened next last year in their final 20 games was they only won 30% of them and they played Chelsea on on Tuesday night. So I suppose this is a a marker for Brendan Rodgers, isn't it? Start as you mean to go on. The second half of the season needs to be as effective as the first thing. Yeah, it does. I think what will help his side is that he's got some injured players coming back. I think uh, Ricardo looks like he's back and and has been involved and and could actually start against Chelsea, although Justin's been been very, very good and Castagna's back. Um, and and the likes of Ndidi has now got some good some games under his belt. Madison, you would feel, is getting right back to the sharpness and the fitness levels where he'd want to be. So, and and I think they're a year wiser. I, I think under Brendan Rodgers. So I don't see it. I do not see there being the same downturn in form. They're so deadly away from home, and I think 
confidence boosting wins like that against Southampton and if they can get one against Chelsea that's exactly what a young team like Leicester need to go on and have a good second half of the season I'd have to agree with Crooks if Jamie Vardy gets any sort of a, a major injury then scrap everything I've just said <laughs> Harvey Barnes has done pretty well though hasn't he scored 10 goals in 24 games in all competition this season which is his uh, best equaling his best ever tally in one entire campaign which was 2018-19 so uh, he's certainly uh, upped his game shall we talk about Chelsea then um, because Saturday night away at Fulham I mean, if you look at just the result, it looks like a professional job well done. Sometimes, yes, I know the cliche is it's more difficult to play against uh, 10 men, but Chelsea were making heavy weather of it before Anthony Robinson was sent off. And actually, Fulham had arguably the clearer cut off the chances up until that point. I actually thought, and I think I text you saying this, Fulham were playing better than Chelsea. They were managing the game better than Chelsea, who themselves just don't look like whatever they do, they have a goal threat. I mean, they've got Timo Werner, Olivier Giroud, Tammy Abraham, Christian Pulisic, Ziyech. Yeah, I mean, in the first half, Ziyech and Pulisic, I don't think they put a ball into a, in, in towards Olivier Giroud for him to create a chance. I mean, I, I thought they were very, very limp. Yeah, I agree. And we, we've spoken a lot about Werner and, and Havertz. It was another big miss at the end from, from Werner. His confidence looks absolutely through the floor at the moment. But it's interesting you mentioned Pulisic there and I was thinking about this listening to the game on TalkSport on the way home and, and Nigel Adley was was coming, commenting on how he just had, isn't playing the same vigour that he was at the end of last season when of course he played such a key role for Chelsea in terms of reaching the Champions League and, and the FA Cup final. Got a really bad injury in that FA Cup final and hasn't recovered and I think it's a big problem for Frank Lampard because he was the heir to the Hazard throne and if he's not firing clearly it's going to have an impact on the amount of chances they create and the number of goals they score. Far be it for us to speculate that that is still a problem but a hamstring injury of that sort of grade can cause you long-term problems can't it Dean and, and if it just takes even half a yard or even even not even that even 20% of a yard of your pace you you are in a different territory aren't you because it is that that sets him apart yes and I think the main thing with the hamstring injuries that I've always felt the odd ones I've had and players that have had worse ones than me is mentally mentally you're that worried I think sometimes of getting up to top speed because you feel like it's going to go even when you get yourself fit and you do the rehab when you get into games it's that mental block I think you can have with hamstring injuries in terms of being able to really um, accelerate and decelerate the way you would you would like to so that might just take a bit of time the big issue I have is every single centre forward they seem to play they then like you said Sam they don't play to his strength you know if, if Olivier Giroud's playing they want to play to feet and and playing around the penalty box rather than getting it wide and getting good deliveries in. If Werner's playing and he needs it in behind, they'll look to get it wide and play crosses in. It's, it's you know, it, it, the, the team have certainly not grasped whoever's going to play up front. We need to play in this in this certain way. And also, I, I think the midfield's an issue. I think Mason Mount's been brilliant, but that other player alongside him, whether it be Havertz, whether it be Kovacic, has been... Very, very poor. And that's an issue. Why not put Reese James in midfield? Give that midfield a bit more energy, a bit more quality that I think he would give you. And also, if he played on the right-hand side of the two further forward midfield players, he's got he's got that kind of Kevin De Bruyne delivery from a sort of deep right-hand side area as well. I'd love to see, because I thought he was, he was brilliant at Wigan in midfield. Arsenal-Newcastle is Monday night. Um, Newcastle, I think they're in a bit of a spot of bother, aren't they, really? I mean, when you look at the table, I thought I mentioned it a few times that I'm not entirely sure that they are out of the relegation fight. They certainly don't look that way after this weekend with um, West Bromwich Albion picking up points, um, Brighton picking up points, Newcastle 19 from 17, and they're only, what, five points in front of Fulham. Yeah, and there seem to be problems now between Steve Bruce and his players. Obviously, Steve Bruce came out with some pretty cutting comments in his pre-match press conference, said that we're going to do it my way now rather than the players' way. I'm not exactly sure what he meant by that because I don't think many players, particularly attacking ones, would, would, would subscribe to playing the type of football Newcastle have been. But equally, there have been murmurs in the dressing room that certain players don't understand his tactics, the 
a false 10 was banded around for a couple of players in, in their last game, that dismal defeat against Sheffield United, which what? has left some senior pros scratching their heads. Well, exactly. What's a false 10? Well, I think that's what the Newcastle players are asking themselves. But for me, I, I think there is a ready-made answer to their problems. Um, I was really impressed with Andy Carroll in the game that I commentated for TalkSport against Arsenal in the FA Cup. He did everything but score in that game. He worked tirelessly for the team. That little and large combination is proven to have positive impact. So why not just play Carroll alongside Callum Wilson? Carroll wins the first ball. Wilson gets onto the knockdowns. I know from watching Callum Wilson at Bournemouth, he prefers to play with a partner. It looks an obvious remedy. Whether Steve Bruce will be bold and do that against Arsenal remains to be seen. But I have to say, and I've defended Steve Bruce a lot on this podcast, if these games weren't being played behind closed doors... I think his position would be untenable. I think the atmosphere at St. James's Park would be so toxic that Mike Ashley would see no alternative but to pull the plug. Uh, Arsenal were pretty dreadful on Thursday night when I went to uh, the Emirates Stadium. Um, they need to serve up something a little bit better against Newcastle, Dean. Uh, yeah, they certainly uh, they certainly do. I think um, I think again, there's there's definitely been confidence building, but that was a that was a poor performance all round. Um, but I think I think things are certainly looking up for Arsenal. I think that finally it feels as if most Arsenal fans and, and in the media, I think, can can trust the fact that he's he's trying to give these young players an opportunity. That's going to lead to inconsistencies because they're young players, but I can see where he's trying to go. I've said that for months in terms of, I think he's he's got the right ideas. I can see how he wants his team to play. It might just be a bit of time and a few inconsistent performances and results for Arsenal this season before we really see Arteta be able to to put his 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 stamp on the side with another transfer window in the summer. Yeah, uh, Pierre Emerick or Bamiyang, you'll get there. You'll get there. Don't worry, lads. You'll just keep playing him. Keep the faith with him. He'll touch the ball eventually. Uh, right. Okay. Let's uh, move on to uh, what's been trending on the World Wide Web. <laughs> It's Monday, and uh, we've decided to give Alex Crooker his own, very own feature. Um, I, I think this is because um, if we don't give uh, idle hands uh, some work to do, then he'll cut his own hair, and uh, that proved to be a right disaster. Uh, so, so what have you got for us? Yeah, um, I've decided to focus on some quirkier stories and not my dodgy haircut, but Unlike Dean, mine will grow back pretty quickly. Um, let's start in... Oh, fired. <laughs> let's start in Turkey. And, and this one really caught my eye. I don't know if you guys have, have seen the pictures, uh, but there was a team called Siverspor, and I hope that I have uh, pronounced that correctly. They decided, in a snowstorm, to ditch their usual colours um, of red and white and wear an all-white kit. And there's a great picture... Um, where you are literally struggling to pick out the Siverspor players. The, the whole pitch is covered in snow and, and they're almost camouflaged. They ended up drawing the game 1-1. Um, but if you haven't seen the pictures, do have a look. They've been compared to, to Casper the Friendly Ghost um, by, a, by a Turkish fan. Absolutely um, sensational, really. It was a bit harem scarum, wasn't it? Um, that is a Casper joke, by the way, just in case you <laughs> It certainly was. And what else you got? Uh, yeah, this is a good one as well. Dominic Solanke obviously has found his shooting boots this season. I think he's into double figures now um, for Bournemouth. Ten goals so far this campaign. One Cherry supporter, Andrew Hardiman, is running a whole marathon, 26 miles for every goal that Dominic Solanke scores. Uh, it's all in aid of Cancer Research UK, so it's for an exceptionally good cause. But I can only imagine that Andrew decided to take on this challenge based on Solanke's goal return as the Premier League player for Bournemouth, which was obviously uh, nowhere near double figures. And, uh, well, by my maths, I'm not Carol Vorderman. That means he'd already ran 260 miles this season. The bad <laughs> news for Andrew is that Dominic Solanke wants to score 20 goals before the campaign Crikey. is out. I hope he's got a new pair of shoes. I mean, I'm trying to run 50 miles in January, um, and that's hard enough. So I, I couldn't take on that kind of challenge. I really couldn't. Maybe he hasn't got as nice the, legs as you. 
Um, let's talk about Mesut Ozil. Obviously, his departure was secured over the weekend. He was absolutely delighted, wasn't he, looking at his social media posts. I do think there was perhaps a, a hint of disrespect for Arsenal with the fact he looked so delighted and wasted no time in changing the colours on his Twitter profile to match those of uh, Fenerbahce's home strip. But it does mean the number 10 shirt has become available. And uh, we're talking about dancing on his grave. Alex Lacazette and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang wasted no time in taking to social media on Sunday night and bantering about which of those two players would take on the famous jersey. I think Lacazette was number 10 when he was at Lyon. Aubameyang, of course, has got the number 14 shirt, which was worn to such effect by Thierry Henry. I wonder if Emil Smith-Rowe, who, who is the heir to the Ozil throne, might fancy it as well. Or maybe there might be a new signing coming in. But I wanted to ask you, Dean... How much stock do players put in squad numbers? Did you have a, a favourite number that you always insisted upon when you joined a new team? Well, yes, players do care. Forwards care, should I say. Um, I don't think midfield players or or defenders care as much. But yeah, forward players really, really care. I mean, there's obviously that, that famous story about when Shearer went to Newcastle and Les Ferdinand basically was told in no uncertain terms, you've got to relinquish the number nine for for Shearer um, and it, I mean I, when I went to West Ham I wanted number 10 because I was 10 at Norwich I was 10 at Crew. 10 was my favourite number to play in but they said no really we want you to wear the number 9 and you know like the greats of uh, Sir Jeff Hurst has and, and that sort of I couldn't really say no but no players forwards really care about it so although they're joking I reckon behind the scenes actually they're, they're not joking. Um, I wonder whether or not um, Pierre-Emerick or, or Bamiang, who is wearing an absolute master's goal-scoring shirt at the moment, should switch to uh, Mesut Ozil because he, he may well be the natural uh, heir apparent to that jersey, if that means signing a fat new contract and not doing anything for two and a half years. <laughs> was, it, was it Chelsea who have a habit of ruining number nine, Sam? Just forwards, any forward. Chelsea sign any forward. Like you could just might as well write off your career. Uh, from <laughs> Robert Fleck, uh, Chris Sutton, Pierre Luigi Casiraghi, Shevchenko, Kesman. Uh, I mean, I could go on for for hours on this. Uh, they, they, whoever you sign, Maratta, anyone, anyone that they sign, just 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 write them off forward wise. Could be bad news for Erling Haaland as well. I doubt it. I don't think Chelsea are going to be able to to, to, to snare him from uh, Pep Guardiola's nose. Um, I, I did see this story, Crook, and I thought this just sort of fits into your theme. Jordan Henderson absolutely furious about Paul Tierney blowing his whistle six seconds too early yesterday because uh, the, um, the the ball went up for one minute of added time at the end of the first 45, and then um, uh, he blew after 45 minutes and 54 seconds. Yeah, it was strange that. I mean, I think that the ball was probably going to run through for David De Gea anyway, but Sadio Mane is quick, so who knows? Maybe he would have got there. Perhaps uh, Paul Tierney needed the loo and couldn't wait any longer. <laughs> I, I wondered, though, because it says you have to d- indicate a minimum number of minutes that you put up, what happens if it is only 50 seconds that you want to add on at the end of a, a half? What do you do then? Because you can't put a ball up with 0.5, can you? Or, or 30 seconds, so... Do they just put up one because there's no other alternative to none? I guess you could put up zero. Then you have to add on a minimum of zero minutes, and you can play fifty seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe well, maybe, maybe that's that that's the that's the uh, the, the rabbit hole that uh, Craig Pawson uh, fell into. There was one more story I wanted to highlight as well, um, very quickly because I think it fits in with uh, with this section. Um, it's uh, over in Africa. I retweeted it. Um, last night to make sure that it stayed in my memory. And uh, basically, uh, what it boils down to is that Zimbabwe have accused Cameroon of witchcraft after a dead bat was found on the pitch uh, of their African Nations Championship opener. The discovery was made before the game, um, which tournament host Cameroon won by a goal to nil. So, um, yeah. (laughs) I mean, bats have caused enough problems, haven't they, in the last 12 months? And uh, (laughs) now they get 
involved in football. Um, the African Nations Championship is the basically it's like un, it's it, it's an African Nations Cup for players that play in Africa, isn't it? It's 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 a tournament that is is contained in the African continent. Uh, but I don't think I've ever heard of a, of a, a game being affected by a bat or or by witchcraft. I mean superstition, Dean. I mean Yuri Geller claims to have had uh, an impact on one or two games, but not witchcraft. I don't like stuff like this. It freaks me out. Honestly, <laughs> stuff like witchcraft and dead bats, we- Ouija boards, and Yuri Geller. I don't like it. I don't like it. It makes me feel funny. Hey, don't don't mess with things you can't control or don't understand. Do you remember when um, Southampton first moved to St Mary's and they thought the the ground was cursed because a lot of the building work was carried out by Portsmouth supporters and they'd apparently buried a Pompey shirt in the foundations. They actually got in a witch doctor because they couldn't win a game there for love nor money for a long time. Um, that might have been because Stuart Gray and um, Steve Wigley were the managers as opposed to any kind of curse. <laughs> Okay, let's move on to West Bromwich Albion uh, against West Ham. And we'll have a look back at some of the games that they played this uh, week because West Brom going to this match now, having beaten Wolverhampton Wanderers um, by three goals to two in what was a fantastic derby match, I must admit. It was an absolute joy to be there. Um, They still have their heads underwater, says Big Sam, uh, but it gives them hope of Premier League survival. I did the game. They weren't flawless. And Sam was keen to point that out afterwards, actually. Um... We still have to shape up defensively, was his mantra, Dean. 41 goals they've conceded. Yeah, and I actually listened to your commentary while I was doing the ironing on um, on Saturday, Sam, and, and it sounded like Wolves had so much of the ball, so much opportunities to get crosses into the box, opportunities to score from, from good situations and kind of West Brom rode that out and then obviously of course two penalties is always going to help and a and a, a long throw that Sam had earmarked as a, as a weakness to to Wolves you know got them over the line but I, I think it's maybe a, a I would say it's false hope unless he can get I, I still think we have to wait until the end of January because you, I thought Snodgrass is a great addition and, sh- and showed that in the game what he can bring to that side I think he needs a couple more before we really can sort of believe that West Brom can get out of it. He says he's looking at up to 250 players in this transfer window, but I think they are struggling to attract players. They wanted Hamza Chowdhury, but I think Leicester might well keep him uh, at the King Power now, given that injury to Dennis Pratt. Danny Rose as well is, is a potential target, but I think he fancies a move abroad should he counsel his, his Tottenham contract. He's given them a fighter's chance, Sam Allardyce. And, and if you look at the likes of Burnley and Newcastle and maybe Crystal Palace as well, and possibly even Leeds United, there are teams that, that can be sucked into trouble. And those teams will all be hoping that West Brom's revival proves to be short-lived. This is a tough game. Um, make no mistake about it because uh, West Ham under David Moyes look a, a good proposition this season. They're particularly strong defensively. We were talking fantasy football earlier. I've got Bonner and Cresswell in my team. That They look like a side now who, who don't give away cheap goals. Antonio back and firing as well. I think it's going to be a difficult ask for, for West Brom to pick up back-to-back wings. West Brom's opponents on Saturday were Wolves and they're without a clean sheet in 12 Premier League matches. The longest ongoing run amongst sides in the division. I'm going to play you the entire 53 seconds uh, of Nuno Espirito Santo's post-match interview. Yes, it was just 53 seconds. This is what he had to say. (laughs) Nuno, was that the fair result? The result is a consequence of the game. And where do you think it went wrong today? Well, we defend, we defend bad the set pieces, defend bad the throw-ins, and uh, we didn't produce enough in offensive parts. And, and what did you make of the VAR decisions today? They seem. I didn't saw w- the images yet. I didn't saw the images yet. N- not the handball call as well. I didn't saw the images. That's why I cannot answer, sir. I'm sorry. Of course, uh, we got 12 games now without a clean sheet. Do you feel you have a real concern at the back there now, Nuno? Mm, not only today. We have, we have been struggling in that part of the game from some while now. Um, Going to work hard and try to improve. And one positive, obviously, Fabio Silva, a lovely taking goal. How much confidence can he gain from that goal today? He has all the confidence and all the support from all of us. He's, he's a talent boy and we keep improving, trying to improve him as a player. Thank, Cheers, you. thank you. That was Nuno Espirito Santo talking to our reporter Declan McCarthy. It was 51 seconds, sorry, without the thank yous. Um, but... 
uh, he was very short, very sharp, very keen to get out of um, that interview before it even started. And let, let, let's be honest, put our hands up. We deal a lot with Nuno and he hates doing post-match interviews. He, he's not interested in doing them at all. In fact, when in the championship, he would not do them. He would only do a press conference afterwards and what he was contractually obliged to do. Uh, Alex? I think it um, held up his new contract negotiations as well. He signed a new deal earlier this season, but he wanted it, it written in there that he didn't have to do as much media. But of course, um, that couldn't happen because under Premier League guidelines, there are certain broadcaster commitments, uh, both for radio, television and overseas rights holders as well. But I think really that interview sums up uh, his demeanour at the moment. And from what I'm told, he's struggling a bit with with lockdown. He's, he's, he's a bit homesick. He's missing the supporters at Molyneux and obviously results are not going well either. I think he, he's made one or two strange decisions as well. I, I don't understand why he's ditched the back three that served him so well to go to a back four. I, I didn't understand why Connor Cody was taking off in a derby game that they were trying to turn around and Cody himself looked a bit perplexed by that decision. Don't think there are too too many funds available to bring in a replacement for Raul Jimenez, who's obviously been a massive loss. It was going to be a season of transition and, and we've stressed that time and again on this podcast, but I, I don't worry for Wolves this season because I think there are too many bad teams in the Premier League for them to be sucked into serious danger. But if they don't sign some players in the summer, I think next season could be difficult for them. I think the uh, concern amongst Wolves fans is about the recruitment and the size of the squad. Nuno Espirito Santo has always wanted to work with a small squad uh, and he's tried to... I think they've changed the way they do the recruitment. Kevin Thurwell was a big part of that prior to uh, the end of last season. He's moved on. Nuno is part of a, a group now that are, are recruiting the players and I don't think the level of players that they've brought in are as good as even the ones that have de- departed. They spent £35 million on Nelson Semedo, who may well end up fitting into the Premier League and playing uh, a big part in Wolves' revival in the second half of the season. But the first half of the season, he's really struggled to get the grips uh, with the game. I mean, he's very much a forward-thinking right-back, but defensively, he gets caught quite a lot. And I think anyone who watched Barcelona probably would have known that, really. I think if he's playing in a back five, where he's the wing-back, it might be different. But as a right-back in a four not sure that's his his position. That's a lot of money to spend in that area if you're not getting a top, top draw player who's an upgrade from, from Matt Doherty, which at the moment, he doesn't look like he is. I do think it is worth pointing out and reiterating what Crook said. Usually, he would pop back to Portugal where his family are on a regular basis. Because of the current situation that we are all in, he isn't able to do that. So he is on his own in Wolverhampton. I think... One of his sons was at university in the north of England and he could go and see him. But that now that's obviously changed as well. So I think he's, a, he, he's not in the greatest of places and, and, and nor a Wolverhampton Wanderer. So you know, best wishes to him. Hope it gets better and hope Wolves do too. Quick word on Leeds against uh, Brighton um, from the weekend. Bielsa blames his players for that defeat. What do you think, Dean? I don't blame him. I thought they allowed Brighton to get hold of that game. The usual sort of verve and energy and closing down wasn't there in the first half. It was better second half where when he'd clearly given them a mouthful at, at half time, but just a little pers- bit of perspective needed, I think, for Leeds. I think um, they're going to have these moments, a lot of teams do, when they come up from the championship. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they win their next game 5-1. You know, I think they're going to be that type of team, Leeds. And let's not forget that Luke Ayling's having to play centre-back and he's not clearly not a centre-back at all. He's, he's doing his best in that position. So they're missing key centre-backs, which I think hampers, obviously, their their chances of keeping clean sheets and, and maybe just a bit of perspective needed, both in terms of the way we, you know, the way I have at times and other people have lauded Bielsa and Leeds. I think that needs to be tempered down. But also when they have these sort of results, I don't think we need to overboard. Uh, which pitch is more of a concern? Alex Crook's newly shaven head or the Ellen Road playing service? They're quite similar, aren't they? Yeah. yeah. Both, both, both got plenty of patches. Yeah, lots of varying length going on. <laughs> a big win for Brighton and for Graham Potter and a um, bit of indication for him for, for not changing his playing style. Again, I think the team selection left a few people baffled. Couldn't quite work out what formation they were going for, but they're five points clear of the drop zone now, albeit Fulham and Burnley both have games in hand. It's only their third win of the season, but I think psychologically 
uh, could be quite an important victory against a, a good footballing side. So once again, Brighton uh, proving they, that they can compete. Now they need to start turning those dominant performances into wins and I hope for Graham Potter and for Brighton that this is a big turning point for them. Big week on TalkSport. We've got live commentaries on Tuesday and Wednesday night. There's also Southampton versus Shrewsbury in the FA Cup, which is going ahead as well. That's live on TalkSport 2 on Wednesday night. Crook, what's, what's the latest on that? What, what What's happening with Shrewsbury? Everything okay now? They're going to be able to field a, a proper team? Well, they're not going to have their manager there. Um, News breaking as we're recording this on Monday morning that Steve Cottrell has spent a period of time in intensive care having tested positive for for COVID-19. He'll be watching the game from his hospital bed. By all accounts, he is over the worst, but we wish him well. I'm still staggered this game is going ahead uh, because the FA made it pretty clear before the third round that teams would have to play the game if they had 14 available players. If they couldn't field a team, then there would be a buy awarded to the opponents to take them into the fourth round. They've made an exception. Southampton have, uh, with the agreement of Leeds, postponed their Premier League game that was due to take place on Wednesday at Ellen Road. I think the FA need need to be clear. They need to be decisive and it needs to be the same rules for everybody. I don't understand Crikey. why an exception has been made. I mean, crikey. That, I mean, that sort of brings it home, doesn't it, Dean? Uh, I mean, Steve Cottrell, or I think all of us have had dealings with Steve and, and we know that he is a relatively fit uh, healthy. He, he's not. He's not an old man. He's a middle-aged man. He's probably a couple of years older than than, than me and, and you. But he is. He, he's certainly a, a guy who who takes him his fitness very seriously. And yet he's found himself suffering with COVID nineteen and ending up in intensive care. I mean that is that's a real worry. And it shows how how football, even though it's continuing in this pandemic, is still at risk and footballers and football people are still at risk and everybody has to be very, very careful. Yeah, and I think, you know, if there's ever any sort of negative media towards football, I think, you know, people do have to look at themselves if they're writing that stuff because footballers, managers, I know they're very privileged and I know they're getting paid well, but they're still putting themselves um, in potentially harm's way for our entertainment effectively. So you're right, it's, it does bring home that nobody's really exempt from this uh, from this virus and we do wish him all the best. I mean, they haven't played since the 29th um, of, of December. So Shrewsbury. So again, I'm with Crooks. I'm, I'm surprised that the FA didn't just kind of let Southampton have a bye, give Shrewsbury the time to get things um, sorted at their club um, but you know if the game does go ahead then I wish them all the best because it's still a great opportunity for the players um, we will have a big preview to all the FA Cup fourth round action which takes place from Friday night right the way through till Monday uh, on this podcast from Thursday afternoon and we will revisit 1986 and Wolves defeat to non-league Chorley in the FA Cup because that's who they play on Friday night and I'm very much looking forward to doing that game with Matt Murray because I, I think they have to put out a really strong team and really go for it because otherwise that is one of those that's all ripe for an upset isn't it you know a non-league team welcoming a, a struggling Premier League team uh, to their little ground in the northwest of England um, and Wolves also have uh, Chelsea at Stamford Bridge the following Wednesday so it's going to be a very busy period for everybody uh, and we're very much looking forward to uh, bringing you wall-to-wall coverage of the FA Cup. Our previews will be available to you on Thursday afternoon and then there's loads of live games over the weekend. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, That's it from us. We will be back, as I say, with uh, a review of all the Premier League action and a look ahead to all the FA Cup football on Thursday. Keep downloading, keep subscribing. Thank you very much. The football never stops. And just in case we haven't got enough pods for you, remember, if you click back one on this particular feed, you'll get up front with Theo Walcott. And what a listen that is. Theo, very up front about his time with England and with Arsenal as well, where he says, you know what, towards the end, we just weren't nasty enough. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. 
Play at labbrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 